You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. You can be seated. We begin today a brand new series called This is Life. And we're going to be in the eighth chapter of Romans this morning and for many weeks to come. I would encourage you to take some time during the week as you spend time with the Lord, as you have your Bible open, uh, to be there often also so that we can come back again and again to this incredible chapter. You know, if, if Scripture is a crown, then Romans is probably the, the, the brightest um, jewel in that crown. And probably chapter 8 is the most brilliant shine in that jewel in the crown, which is Scripture. Romans chapter 8 is one of the most significant chapters in the Bible. It's an incredibly profound chapter in God's Word. It's it's a life-changing chapter. And I believe that every believer should really seek to understand this chapter. There's just so much depth, so much richness of who we are in Christ, who God is, who the Son is, who the Spirit is, where we are now, where we've been, where we're headed, all in that one chapter. I've, I've told people before, if I was told I could only take one chapter of God's Word and have that with me the rest of my life, you know, which which chapter would you take? My answer is always the eighth chapter of Romans. It is that rich, that deep. So with that, let's get there. Romans chapter eight, let's go to verse one together. Romans is the sixth book in the New Testament. Let's go to chapter eight. We're gonna pretty much be in verses one through six this morning, but we'll be just in the book of Romans. So I encourage you to open up your Bible, whether you're at home watching online or here live in person today. Let's go to Romans chapter eight. Let's begin in verse one. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Let's begin this morning with some really incredible news. And we see it in verse one. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is not only good news, it is needed news. Why is that good and needed news? Well, we see in the third word right there, at least in the ESV, the word therefore. There is therefore. I think I've taught you this before. Anytime you read scripture and you see the word therefore, you need to ask yourself, what is the therefore, therefore? Because it references back to something that was just stated, something that was just given to us. Anytime you read scripture, always know that the context is so good. So let's go back to Romans chapter 7, just some of the last verses of Romans chapter 7. Let's look at verse 21 together. Because Paul has just written this before he gets to the great news of verse 1 of chapter 8. Look at chapter 7, verse 21. Paul says, so I find it to be a law, or maybe a better word there for us to understand. I find it to be like this power or that this force, that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Man, isn't that right? 
For I delight in the law of God. I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members, meaning my body, another law or another force that's waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my body, that dwells in my members. Verse 24 could be all of our bumper stickers before Jesus. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So in chapter 7 here, Paul has discussed the sinfulness of man. He has discussed the hopelessness of man. He has discussed the inability of man to save himself by, by ceremony or by goodness or by sacrifice. So in chapter 8, verse 1, he introduces to us this incredible grace, this incredible gospel of grace. And it's not only a gospel of grace, it is also a gospel of power. Chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's look at that word condemnation together. The word condemnation is actually a legal word. It's a a word of legality, meaning guilty, meaning that there is a right charge against somebody. There is a guilt. There is a ruling against Now, you know this, Christian, as a follower of Christ, if you're in Christ today, all of your sins have been forgiven. You have heard that probably since the day that you believed upon Christ and perhaps you even heard that before you believed upon Christ, that all of your sins have been forgiven, but there's more. Chapter eight, verse one says, there's more than just all of our sins having been forgiven. There's more. I'm about to give you a spiritually monumental statement. Here it is. Christian, the gospel provides an incredible gift. There will never be a condemnation against you. It's not just that your sins have been forgiven, but here's the good news, the incredible gift of God through Christ Jesus. There will never be a charge of guilt given to you. There will never be a ruling against you. There will never be a spiritual condemnation against you. It has been removed. Not only has the condemnation been removed, you have been removed from the condemnation. You have been removed from even the possibility of ever being condemned by Christ. Nothing will ever, hear this, nothing will ever, Christian, bring you back underneath condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But imagine a lot of us in this house, we have spiritual failures because we don't fully understand that or fully believe that. A lot of us, we have spiritual failures because we don't fully understand or or grasp or have built our lives upon this truth that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So Christian, if you feel guilty all of the time, it's because you fully don't understand that you're not condemned. If you feel like you're defensive all the time, Christian, maybe it's because you fully don't live on this truth that you are no longer condemned. Christian, if you feel separated from God, maybe it's because you haven't fully realized that you're not condemned. If you feel like, Christian, when you walk away from God, that somehow you have to work your way back to God, perhaps because you do not fully believe or grasp this truth that you are not condemned. So who are you? If you're not condemned, then who are you in Christ? Great question, because here's the answer. In Christ, you are forever spotless, Blameless, holy, faultless, clean, pure, whole, righteous. In Christ Jesus, you are forever not guilty anymore. You are forever not guilty anymore. 
anymore. This is who you are. See, this is not only who you are right now, Christian. This is who you will be forever. You are in Christ Jesus forever not guilty, forever pure, forever faultless, forever whole, forever complete, forever forgiven. Don't let, sister in Christ, brother in Christ, do not let your past define you. Don't let let past mistakes define you. Don't let what other people say about you define you. Uh, Don't let sin or guilt define you. Don't let the mirror define you. Don't let your grades define you. Don't let your GPA define you. Don't let your paycheck define you. This is who you are in Christ, and this is who you are forever. This is your identity when you are in Christ Jesus. How is this possible? Great question. I'm glad you asked because verse two begins with the word for. In other words, the connection. There is therefore now no combination for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. You see, there's two laws working here in, in verse two. And maybe instead of the word law, that kind of sounds a little familiar, a little maybe um, not as familiar to us, maybe use the word power that's the same word here, or the word authority. There's an authority of, uh, at work here, two authorities at work, or two powers at work. You have the power or the law of the Spirit. That's one power. Then you have this power or the law or the authority of sin and death. Now, the, the power of, of death, it says that we're overpowered by sin, The power of death says it's too much for us, like we cannot resist that sin. So what do we do? We just sin. And when we sin before Christ, we are offending God. So this is where the non-Christian stands. The non-Christian, the sinner, stands underneath the condemnation of the rightful judge who is the God of the universe. That's one law, or that's one power. And it's in that darkness that verse two just shines with this glorious light because the second power is the power of the Spirit. That the power of the Spirit or the law of the Spirit or the authority of the Spirit, and this power says in Christ Jesus, you're free. In Christ Jesus, you're not guilty. In Christ Jesus, you are no longer condemned. So let's take those two powers And understand them a little bit more because verse 2 is all about those two things, those two laws, those two powers, those two authorities. First of all, let's take the power of death. Here's what the power of death is. The power of death is in prison, condemned, separated from God because you are powerless to say no to God. The power of death is you're in prison, spiritually in prison, condemned to separation from God because we were powerless to say no to sin. Like we, we couldn't push back sin. We couldn't restrain from sinning. We could not not sin. It, it was a part of our, if you will, spiritual DNA. We could not push back against the sin. And because we could not push back against sin and we longed to sin, we longed to rebel, we were placed under the condemnation, which means what a guilty charge. We were placed under the condemnation of a holy God and we had, listen church, we had nowhere to turn. We had no resources to pull us out from underneath this condemnation. We had no resources to pull us away from this inevitable judgment, this inevitable separation. So you have the power of death, but then you also have the power of the spirit. Power of the spirit is the second law or the, the second authority. It's the greater power, by the way, the the greater authority. The power of the Spirit is the freedom from that prison to now a relationship with God through Jesus 
where you are empowered to say no to sin. Freedom from that prison that we were, we were serving a life sentence in, now to a relationship with God through Jesus, and we're empowered to say no to sin. Look at verse two. Where does this power come from? Verse two, there's three little words here. In Christ Jesus. For in Christ Jesus, you were set free. In Christ Jesus, you were forgiven. In Christ Jesus, you are told you're not guilty. And you're not just free from the guilty charges. You're now also free to not sin. How is this possible? I'm glad you asked again because verse three begins with the word for, which means these are all connected together. Look at just the first part of verse three. For, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. And what the law could not do is pretty clear. The law could not save us. It could not forgive us. It could not give us power. It could not rescue us. Why could the law not do that? Listen, because we couldn't keep it. We couldn't maintain the law. Again, we could not say no to sin. So if you're note-taking, you can write this down. All we could do with the law was break it. That's all we could do with the law we, we, were, we were professional lawbreakers. If you've always longed to excel in something, congratulations, we all excel in breaking the law, in breaking God's law. We, we were experts in breaking the law of God. We simply could not keep it before Christ. We simply could not keep it before the power of the Spirit. Now, I've said this before, and I always get a few eyebrows raised when I say this, but I think I'm standing on pure biblical ground when I say, if we could... If we could all perfectly obey the law, there would have been no need for the crucifixion and death of Jesus. If we could all perfectly keep the law, as in you perfectly keep the law, every law, every day for all of your life, that would have saved you. That would have made you complete. That would have made you whole. Because you see, the law actually is holy and just and good. But you see what Paul said in Romans chapter seven, there's just this this power of sin, this this waging war in our body. Thank you, Adam and Eve. And because this war of sin always raging in our body, even though the law was good and just and right, we weren't good, we weren't just, and we weren't right. So I want you to see here, the law lets us know how messed up we were. The law lets us understand how selfish we were, how unholy we are. But I want you to see what God did. And this is glorious. You you don't look like it's glorious yet, but you're gonna find out here in a second. You're gonna go, wow, Durham, that's my last name. That's glorious. Because I think this is one of the top verses in all the Bible. I'll give this a top 10 rating here in, in Romans chapter eight, verse three. I want you to understand, first of all, what happened. So God, in his mercy, made a way for us to be saved. We were experts at breaking the law. We were professional lawbreakers. We excelled in it. So what did God do? Because he's rich in mercy, he made a way for us to be saved. Here's what I'm trying to say. We couldn't, so God did. 
We were powerless. He is powerful. We were incapable. He is capable. How did he do this? Great question. We see the rest of it here in verse 3. Let me give a running start again. Verse 3, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Here's the second part. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. God did it by sending Christ to take our place. This is the glorious reality of the gospel of Jesus. The glorious reality of the gospel. Here here is Jesus who was without sin, but God sent him as a man and sent him as an offering for our sin. So God put our sins onto Jesus and then unloaded his fury against our sins that were placed upon Christ. It was on Jesus that our condemnation, it was on Jesus that our correctly charged, guilty charge was placed upon him. This is the marvel of the gospel. This is the marvel of the good news. So it's the Holy Spirit who gives us this now brand new, no condemnation status by freeing us from the power of death, but also enables us now to obey God's law. Catch this, verse four. Why did all of this happen? Verse four, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Now you may wanna circle those two words right there, in us. So if you have a pencil or pen or mascara, whatever, just circle those two words, in us, because this is where you fit into the gospel. You know, the Bible, yes, it is an autobiography of God, but listen, Christian, it's also your biography. This is who you are. It's where you've been. It's who you are. It's where you're headed. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who are we? We are the ones who walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. What was, Highland, what was the requirement, the righteous requirement of the law? Listen, what was it? Perfection. Absolute perfection. The requirement of the law is you have to obey all of this. Every bit of this all of the time or you'll perish or you'll be forever separated from God. And listen, God's laws, they have not changed. God's laws have not changed. Here's God's law. Without holiness, you can't see the Lord. So the holiness of Christ Listen, the perfection of Christ, that was the righteous requirement of the law, that perfection. If we were Pentecostal, you'd be doing backflips right now. That perfection was given to you. The perfection, the rightness of Christ was given to you. So let me, let me give you the good news of the gospel in one sentence. Here it is. Not only did God put our sin on Christ, but he put Christ's righteousness on us. Wow. If he had only just taken away our sin, that would cause us to rejoice for all eternity. We would sing and celebrate. We should be singing and celebrating and rejoicing that our sins have been forgiven. If that's all that the gospel was, that'd be incredible. 
But you see, the full gospel is not just that our sin was placed on Christ. The fullness of the gospel is that he also put Christ's righteousness on us. This is why Jesus had to live a holy, perfect, righteous, sinless life so that his sinless life could be transferred to us. This is a strange transaction. Strange transaction, but all of our sins were transferred to Jesus. And all of Jesus' perfection and rightness and righteousness was transferred to your account. Not only did God put our sin on Christ, but he put Christ's righteousness on us. What, What a mystery that unfolds in these just four verses. We move from this condition of condemnation because of our sin, because we couldn't help ourselves, over to this condition of perfect righteousness in Christ. We move from this position of not being able to keep the law because of this law or this power of sin and death working in us. Now we've been shifted over to a new position, able to keep the law of God because of the indwelling spirit within us. You know what this means? I'm about to give you a statement that should cause some of you to say amen. So I'm giving you all kinds of ample opportunity to get ready to say this. So here here it goes. That means that when God sees you, he sees the perfection of Jesus. And you can do that whenever you want to do that on any Sunday morning. Because some of you are here in the house today, even as a Christian, and all you can think about is the mistakes of last year the regrets that like you're just not living up to who you want to be and you think God thinks less of you or is mad at you or is frustrated with you or you feel like you'll never match up and you'll never be this godly godly man, this godly woman. And so you think less of yourself or again, you think that God somehow has you underneath his condemnation. And please hear this again for those who are in Christ. When God sees you, he sees the beautiful perfection of his son, Jesus. Wow. So let me give you three practical things because I know some of you come to church just for three practical things. Okay, exactly. There's a, there's a pragmatist right here, which is great. I mean, theology should turn into our biography somehow, sometime. I know some come to church going, hey, preacher, just tell me how I need to live on Monday morning. So let me take all this doctrine, all this incredible theology, and let's boil it down to how this really impacts our lives. Here's the first thing. Something had to be condemned, either the accused or the accusation. You see, God is a rightful judge. Yes, he is filled with mercy, filled with love, but catch this, he's also a holy, holy, holy God. He is always accurate in his judgments. And he couldn't just take our sin and like sweep it under some carpet in the corner of heaven. Our sin offended God and he had to do something With that offense, he had to do something with the weight, the penalty of our sin. He could not just continue just to glance another way. Our sin had to be dealt with. So one of two things were gonna be condemned. Either you and I were gonna be condemned or the accusations against us, and they were correct accusations. Well, let me say that myself. The accusations against me and sin were right. 
But then God condemned the accusation. In other words, God condemned our sin. God could either condemn you or condemn our failures, condemn our sin, condemn the offense that we had placed before God. That's deep theology. God had to condemn something, either the accused or the accusation. Here's the second practical word for you today. When fully understood, God's grace compels us to walk in purity, not continue in sin. There's a school of thought today that preachers should not preach very much on the grace of God because if we preach too much on the grace of God, then God's people will just go live however they want to live. And it'll just constantly circle back around to forgiveness. Okay, if God's so kind and God's so filled with grace, then I can live however I wanna live. I can do whatever I wanna do. I can just sin and even multiply sin. I can just, I can live a sin-filled life as long as I circle back around to, to God's forgiveness. You know what that is? That's cheap grace. That's someone who doesn't understand the power and the weightiness and the cost of grace. Because biblical grace, when we understand Romans chapter eight, especially, that kind of grace does not compel us to live a godless life. That kind of grace compels us to live in purity and in holiness, to, to live a life like Christ, to, to love God, to love others, just as Jesus loved God and loved others. So when we fully understand the greatness of the grace of God, it should not make us run to sin. It should make us run to Jesus and to press into him, to know him, to want to be like him. This really is the weightiness of grace. It compels us not towards sin. It compels us to godliness. Here's the third practical thing. This is as practical as I could make it. We can never thank or adore Jesus enough. If this is what he has done for you, daughters of God, sons of God, that he allowed a transfer of our sin onto him and he allowed a transfer of his perfection onto us, we really can't thank him enough. We can't adore him enough. We can't worship him enough. The good news, again, Christians, is that we'll have all eternity to adore him and to thank him for what he has done for us. Would you stand with me, please? And would you turn your attention to the screen? I would like for us to finish today by reading this passage that we just walked through aloud. Would you join with me, please, as we declare this? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. 
For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Let's pray. God, what an amazing transaction that my sin, our sin, the world's sin heaped upon the perfect Son of God. And God, your fury flashed at that sin. And then for those who believe, you have transferred the perfection of Jesus onto our lives. We can't be grateful enough. We can't sing loud enough. We can't adore you enough for giving us this life. So we say to you how great you are, how greatly you are to be praised, how great your mercy, how great your love that you did not spare your son for us, but that through the death and the resurrection of that son, we might say, wow, this is life. Amen.